Well, as you're grabbing your seat, go ahead and pull out your Bible. Hopefully you brought one, or at least you can pull one up on your phone. That works too. Uh, But we would love for you to be in Scripture to see this. We need God's Word. We need to see what God has for us uh, today, uh, this morning. And so we have been in a series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, We're actually going through both letters that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, and we're calling it Living Hope. And just to kind of frame up where we've been in this series, where we're going in this series is this, is that uh, Paul is writing to this young church a sort of newer church in Thessalonica that he uh, started. He shared the gospel. Many responded. And so this church began. Uh, they were driven away. And so Paul is writing to this church, which remains, even though Paul can't be with them, he's writing to them to infuse, to encourage, to, to send uh, just a pointing toward the living hope that is found in Jesus. And they are facing opposition. Uh, they are figuring things out. They're trying to follow the Lord. They're being faithful in their faith. And Paul is instructing them, teaching them uh, in some of these things. And if you've been with us, you know that uh, Paul has been um, just so encouraged by what God has been doing there in that church. And uh, he's been sharing some of his own heart for them. We've seen his uh, example of good leadership, of, of leading, growing leadership in their lives and the care and love that he has for them. And it's been incredible to just see God's heart or Paul's heart uh, for them and God's love coming out in the way that he's leading them. Uh, but today, what we're going to see is the, this kind of turns. And uh, he's been giving all these instructions, and now he wants to kind of point them in a direction in their life uh, toward uh, some changes, some things that they need to keep in mind, that they got to uh, respond to, that they got to grow with. And so he says this, if we're actually going to pick up in chapter 4 of verse 1, he says, finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. He's going to ask the church to do some things. And if you've read other letters written by Paul to the churches, this is a pretty common turn that's made at some point in the letter. And what we're going to see is he's going to ask them to pursue a holiness in their lives, in the life of the church. Um, and so we're calling this morning, Holiness Matters. Holiness Matters. And uh, this holiness is something that is intentional, and it's with some intentional pursuit. Um, if I could kind of frame it this way, I would just, uh, I can be honest today, there's uh, some things um, that, uh, you know, sometimes in a Jacobson house that we get just sort of anxious for, thinking about wanting a particular type of food. Uh, maybe you get that way too, and I don't know what that looks like in your house. Maybe that's, you know, kind of heading uh, down the road, and you just got to, you got to you got, you got a craving, you got to pick up that, that fast food or that thing from the grocery store, whatever it might be. For us, just to be honest, we're willing to put in some, some driving miles to, to get some food sometimes. Um, like, for example, uh, we love Portillo's. Uh, we have a real love affinity for Chicago food, all things Chicago food in our house. We, uh, that's where my wife and I met. We uh, lived there for many years, and then, um, and then uh, we also lived there for just a season before coming up here, and so we love Chicago food. So it is not uncommon for us to drive over to the east side where Portillo's is, right? And we will drive over there for just to get a Chicago hot dog. 
Um, you know, when you, when you want one, you want one. If you know, you know what it is. I mean, there's that neon green relish, the celery salt, the sport peppers, the pickle, the tomato, all of it, right? Like that is, and you can't get one uh, just anywhere. It's gotta be a Portillo's. I'm just praising the Lord that there's one coming to the west side and I don't have to drive quite as far because we will, we'll put in the miles. Uh, but further than that, we've actually, if any of you know of cops over in um, uh, Milwaukee, um, custard uh, can be found lots of places. It cannot be found lots of places that taste like cops. And we have driven over to Milwaukee for pretty much just to get custard before. Um, it is embarrassing to admit, but we'll, we'll find things that we're going to uh, do there in addition to kind of justify the trip, but that's really the main reason of why we're driving over there, is, is just to get, especially if there's like pecans on the flavor of the day. Um, so we've had to like block that website, just keep, you know, we don't wanna know, we just better not to know what's there because then we're gonna, um, we're gonna want to go. Well, we're doing something right in our parenting because recently Ava turned 10 and for her birthday, she wanted us to drive down to Rockford, uh, which is where the closest Lumonati's uh, pizza is, and we had to, uh, we picked up and brought back Luz for her birthday. I was so proud of her. She's like, Dad, here's what I want for my birthday meal. I want to drive down, you and me, just the two of us, for an hour to get pizza and then drive it back. Um, there wasn't great foresight in like the, just the, the, the thinking around it. What we did is we took those pizzas, we ordered them fresh, we covered them with coats, and they got a little soggy on the way back. And I know some of you are thinking, well, they sell frozen pizzas. You can just go get those and bring them back. But it's not the same, right? We wanted the full experience. And so we ordered it, we brought it all the way back, and we're willing to do it because it mattered. We wanted it. It was something that we desired. We wanted to have it. And we were willing to put in the effort, willing to put in the miles, willing to put in the work to do it. So here's the thing why I share all that is this. I wonder what are some things in your faith, some things in following Jesus, some things that he's called us to that you're willing to put in some work that matter to you, that you know, hey, this is worth it. It's worth the pursuit. It's worth the attention. It's worth the time. It's worth the energy. Here's the big idea. Let me just give it to you. I like to do this often as we open up God's word to just kind of frame up what we're gonna see because this is sort of the driving point that we're gonna see in this passage today. It's this. Let me give it to you. I'd encourage you to write it down. The big idea is this, is that in order for holiness to increase in my life, holiness needs to matter more to me. In order for holiness to increase in my life, holiness needs to matter more to me, more than it does right now. So holiness might matter a lot to you right now, but if you wanna see it increase, it's gotta matter more that we would be more about it. Said another way, I could say this, that holiness doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. We just don't kind of fall into holiness. It's something that takes intentional pursuit. You gotta set the GPS. You gotta get in the car. You gotta go there. You gotta do it, and it's worth it. And there needs to be intentionality in our pursuit as followers of Jesus in the holiness of our lives. That is this call that Paul is making for the believers in Thessalonica to make this turn, to, to address and to look at the holiness in their lives and to make this an intentional pursuit that they are going after. And so I wonder for us, is holiness increasing in our life? Is whole, how much does holiness matter to me? In order for it to increase, it's gotta matter more. And so that's what we're gonna see from God's word this morning. Let me read it together. Let's read the whole passage. You can follow along in your copy of scripture. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says this, finally then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, just as you received from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing 
that's, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Let's pray as we get ready to walk through this passage together. Our God, we thank you for your word as we do each week. God, this is your call on our lives. This is the instruction you've given us, and it's for our good. God, it's for your glory. And so we want to approach it with this understanding, God, with this mindset, Lord, that we want to hear from you. We want you to teach us now. And so, God, we want to pursue holiness. We want to pursue a greater righteousness in our life, a greater commitment to the things that you've called us to do, and we know we need your help to do that. And so, God, as we turn our attention to this passage, would you teach us, would you grow us, would you show us what you have for us here today? In the name of your son, Jesus, we ask this, amen. All right, well, let's walk our way through it. In order for holiness to increase in my life, holiness has to matter to me. Here's some things that have to matter if holiness is going to increase. The first is this, my conduct in daily living matters. We have to be able to agree with this statement that my conduct in daily living matters. Let me show it to you in scripture, verse one. It says, finally then, brothers, which this is kind of like a preacher talking. You know, sometimes preachers will do that, not me, but others, right? They say, finally, and then they've got like seven more points uh, to make. That's sort of what's happening here. He's turning the corner, but not really. Like there's still a lot more coming. He's just saying, listen, now, finally then, I've got a few more things to say. This is the turn that he's making. So finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. So he's asking some things, urging some things in them. He's making an appeal for their life. And the tone of this, you hopefully you see it there, is it's sort of this friendlier tone. Uh, if you read some of the other letters, you're going to see that when Paul asks the church to do something, he does so a little bit more authoritatively. Those are the situations, those are the times when his authority is being a little more questioned, right? That's not the case here. He's, he says, like, the church in Thessalonica, they're responding to his authority. They're responding to who he is. And so he doesn't have to kind of make the demand. He can make the ask. It's kind of like what happens at our house sometimes when I'm trying to be friendly with my children, kind of ask them to do some things in a, you know, just more gentle way, I'll say, hey, could you go clean your room before dinner? But every once in a while, there's some crossed wires and that's sort of misinterpreted as an actual ask. I'm not asking in that moment. I'm not asking if they will. I'm telling them to go do it. So sometimes it's like, hey, will you go clean your room before dinner? And like, nah, I'd rather not. Okay, let's try again. Hey, go clean your room before dinner, right? There's more authority in there, a little less friendly, a little less kind of gentle in that. So what Paul's doing here, he's telling them some things, but he's doing it friendly. He's saying, hey, we ask, we urge you, but here's the authority in the Lord Jesus. Under his lordship, under his direction for our lives, we're asking you, we're urging you, we're appealing to you, church, to do these things. What is it that they're asking 
Well, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, you're doing these things just as you're doing that you do so more and more. What he's saying is, he's, the urge, the ask is that as they ought to walk, as they ought to please God, that they would continue to do that and that would increase. That that would increase. Anytime that you see the word walk in the New Testament, it's talking about this daily living, daily conduct, like living out your life before God. Like it's the Monday through Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day of the week sort of included here. And when Paul and Silas were with the church, they taught them how to walk, how to live out their faith. See, remember, this is a brand new church. They just came to Christ. Like Paul and Silas get into town, they start preaching the gospel of Jesus and many respond. They have no idea how to live out their faith. And so Paul and Silas, before leaving, they gave them some instructions. They said, listen, this is how you live out your faith in Jesus. And they're continuing to do those things. They're walking in these things. And some of that, to live out their walk before God, they have to follow some of these oughts and these ought nots, right? Like you learn from us how you ought to walk in life. Do you know that the Bible has for us today some oughts and some ought nots? Like there's some instructions here for us. There's some things that we're supposed to do. There's some things that we're not supposed to do. And the Bible is pretty clear in that. A lot of us, we don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told what not to do. Sometimes when that happens, we like to do the opposite. But that's the exact opposite thing of what Paul's saying. He says, listen, you know how to walk. You ought to walk. So keep walking in this way. Do so more and more. Your daily conduct matters. Not just your daily conduct, but the things that you're doing that please God. He says that you would do this to please God. You saw from us, you received from us how to please God. Now, I know whenever we come across this, maybe um, you know, we might be prone to misinterpret or misunderstand this. So let me just be clear about this. If you read this and you're like, man, I gotta figure out how I gotta please God. Like, how do I, how do I please God? How do I make him happy with me? Here's the good news that I have for you. If you are in Christ Jesus, if you have placed your faith, your trust in him, he is the Lord of your life. Listen, I got great news for you. God is already pleased with you. He's already pleased with you. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, that has been counted to your account, like that's been credited to your account from him. It's on his, on his working on your behalf. You're like, how does that work? It's like, it's amazing. That's what Jesus has done. Like his perfect sinless life is applied to your account and it's credited. Your, his righteousness is credited to you as your righteousness. And so, just let's be clear about something that this is not, what Paul's not doing is, hey, here's, here's, some, how's, here's how to get in good with God, right? So that he actually likes you. He actually is pleased with you, how he sort of warms up to you. That's not what Paul's saying here. God is already pleased with you, believer. If you are following Christ, he is pleased with you because of what Christ has done. What he's saying is, is God's already pleased with you, but here's how you do the things that please God. Right? Let's be clear about that. There are things that we choose that grieve the heart of God, that sadden him, and there's things that we choose that please him, that he's expected, that he wants, and he desires from us. The same is true in my house. Let me use another example as a dad. Like, I am pleased with my children because they are my children. I love them. I care for them. Like, they can't earn any more or achieve any more of my love. Yet, there are things that they do that make me sad, that I... 
I'm burdened for, that I'm disappointed in, that wish they wouldn't do, those kind of things. And then there's other things that they do that that's exactly like, that's so encouraging. I'm so excited. It pleases me that they would do those things. The same is so with our heavenly father. He is already eternally pleased with us because of the work of Christ, but there's things that we can do that are the things that please him. And so what Paul is saying to the church, he's saying, hey, church, listen, look at how you are walking How you are living out your life matters. Now, this is a really simple point, but we need to make sure that we don't miss this. I wonder if it's true in your life. Does your daily conduct, like each and every day, not just Sunday, not just what happens here, or not just happens when you're with your church friends, not just happens when you're at small group, not just happens, you know, in Bible study, whatever it might be, but does it matter every single day? Like the thoughts that you have when you wake up, the words that you speak to your coworkers, the way that you interact with those throughout the day, the places that you go with your browser, the things that you spend your time to, the things that you pick up with your hands, all of the things that you do, like your daily conduct each and every day, does that matter to you? Do you recognize that it matters to God? That's what Paul's saying. He says, hey, look at how you're walking. Keep doing it more and more and grow in this. This is where you can grow. Our daily conduct should matter more to us because it matters so much to God. And would we not be the people that claim to follow, to know, to trust the ways, the things of God, and then say the opposite with our thoughts, communicate a completely different message with our actions, to preach a different gospel with the words that we say. That is exactly what the crowd did. Today is known as Palm Sunday. It's the beginning of the week that we remember Christ last week before going to the cross. And on this day is when he entered into the city of Jerusalem and people were praising him. And they were singing, they were shouting, Hosanna, the Messiah had come, right? And they were laying down their branches and they were laying out their coats and they were making this way for the king to come and and they were celebrating this. And it was days later that the very crowd that was singing praise to him was calling for him to be crucified. They were calling him to be handed over to the authorities and to be killed. See, the daily living matters. It's not just enough to give praise one day a week and then walk out and live differently. And I would just say this, that we need to be reminded of this, that Jesus meets us where we are at. He saves us in the place that we are. If you've ever felt or you ever thought that you need to clean yourself up before you come to God or you need to get right before you kind of come into church or be a part of this, hopefully this is a place and you recognize this, that we want you to come in the place that you are because that's how Jesus meets us. He meets us in the places we are, but let's not miss this. He doesn't leave us there. Once Jesus saves, he redeems, he transforms, he renews, he changes us. And there should be this ongoing, regular change happening in our life. I wonder if it's happening in your life. It's good every once in a while to take some inventory to see and ask, God, what have you been doing? What have you been teaching me? Maybe take some time and just think back, like what was different a year ago? What has God taught you? What has he grown in you? How's your daily conduct look differently this year than it did last? What about three years ago? What about five years ago? If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, what are the things that he is changing you? And then I would ask you this, what else is he still trying to change? 
What is he still trying to grow? He says, you know, you received how you ought to walk and how to please God. He's like, you're doing this. You're doing this church, but we are called to do it more and more. He's like, these are the instructions that were given to you through the Lord Jesus. This is the gospel. Through the good news of Jesus and what he's done, there's some commands that have been given to us. That word instructions there is like a military instruction. It's a military command that God's called us to some things. Does it matter to us? If holiness is gonna increase, my daily conduct matters. We have to believe that. Here's the second thing that we have to believe. It's this, is that my fight against sexual immorality also matters. My daily conduct matters. And specifically, this is where Paul zeroes in here, is my fight against sexual immorality matters. Notice what he says, verse three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It's a common question to ask. What's God's will for my life? What's he trying to do? Where's he taking me? What's he doing? This is the answer right here. The will of God for your life is your sanctification. Do you know what that word is? That's a pretty churchy Bible word. Sanctification is the process of becoming more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong process. It begins at salvation. When Jesus saves you, he begins this process of turning you, changing you, transforming you more and more like his son. And this is what is completed after this life is over. When he receives us with him into eternity, that is when that process of sanctification where our holiness will be worked out by God. That all the things that we wish that we could change, all these things that weigh us down, the sin that we so easily run to, that this is when that goes away. That day, that day that is yet to come, but the process of becoming more like Christ is that sanctification process. This is his will for our life, that we would be growing in these things. Specifically, what is at stake here, one of the battle points, the the hurdles that we need to be ready to encounter and fight against is sexual immorality. Notice what Paul says. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. How are we sanctified? How does this get done? That you abstain from sexual immorality. Paul specifically knows that this is a place that has the ability to sabotage the holiness in our lives, has an ability to sabotage that sanctification process. Sexual immorality has the power to make a train wreck of the sanctification in our lives. What is sexual immorality? That's a good question. What is it? What's he saying there? Well, the word there is porneia in Greek. That is sort of a very general, broad term. It's kind of like a junk drawer, kind of grab bag sort of term, which would refer to anything, sexually speaking, that is outside of God's instructions for the sexuality of our lives. God has called us to what my friend Christopher Yuan calls a holy sexuality. He's written a lot in the areas of homosexuality and trying to help and and help people see what is God's intention for that and is is that good, is that bad, is that wrong, is that sinful? And what he would say is God has not called us to heterosexuality, he's called us to holy sexuality. It's another step beyond that. And so it's not just out of this, it's toward this whole different paradigm regarding our sexuality. And the Bible is clear about what that is. Let's be clear. This is what we see in scripture 
church, what we hold to as a church, is that the sexuality that God's called us to is a heterosexual relationship between a man and a woman in a monogamous marriage covenant. This is the place in which sex is to exist. That is not the way that our culture, our times would describe that. It would put it in a lot of other categories, a lot of other places. And even in saying those things, some of us are kind of, are we allowed to say that? Are we allowed to have qualifications on this? Like, who are we to say this? Listen, scripture is super clear. This is God is the creator, the inventor. The, uh, he made us who we are. And so this is where he intended sex to exist is within a marriage covenant between a man and a woman for life. That's it. So pornonia, sexual immorality, is anything outside of that. Anything which would be outside of the bounds of marriage. Anything, anything. And so pornography, you might uh, sort of recognize, kind of sounds like pornography. That's the writing of sexual morality. That's what that word literally means. So that would certainly fall, fall under that. Premarital sex, adultery, friends with benefits, hooking up, lustful thoughts, any of that would fall outside of the bounds of marriage. And what Paul is doing is he's recognizing, he sees a real challenge for the church here. So you have to understand that this was rampant in the culture of the day. It was very commonplace, not only that, celebrated, even expected that there would be all sorts of different relationships outside of marriage. Marriage was not this kind of, any sort of binding place in which that would exist. And so it was not uncommon for that to happen outside and all over the place and, and with prostitutes or slaves or mistresses, whatever it might be, that was totally acceptable. Furthermore, worship, temple worship was happening. This was being incorporated into worship. And so this is the culture in which that they are coming out of. And so Paul is writing, he's recognizing, hey, all around you, this is not the standard that anyone else is holding, but this is the standard that God has called us to as his church, as his people. The will of God, your sanctification, is that you would abstain from sexual immorality. The reason that we come to it today, one, is because, well, we're walking through the letters. That's what I love about walking through these books. I wouldn't have necessarily chosen this topic on this day. We chose this book. We're kind of walking through it. And it's like, hey, when we come to it, we say it. We don't skip over parts. We don't try and candy coat it or kind of say it in a different way than Scripture would say. We want to look at exactly what Scripture has said in this and so he unpacks it further. He says that each one of you would know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, that we would take captive these thoughts, that we would control the things that we do with our body. We're not living out the passions or any sort of fleeting thought which might come to our mind, but rather in holiness and honor, there's control there. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not, do not know God. That's not a ethnic statement. That is a covenantal statement. It's, it's the people of God. Because we know God, we wanna do the things that God has called us to do. And that really is the heart of what is going on here. It's because we know God, we know that he created us as beings. And he created us with this thing. I mean, I don't know why he chose to do it, but he did. Sex is for both pleasure and procreation, right? And he has put it and he's placed it in the context and confines of marriage. And in that place, it is a beautiful thing. It is great. It is good. It is to be celebrated. 
It is to be practiced. It is good. There's plenty of things that God has to say that it is like encouraged, right? But it's in that context, in that place. Because we know God, we know where it is. I like to describe it this way. It's like a fire in a fireplace. When the fire is in the fireplace, it's beautiful. It brings joy. It brings light. It brings warmth to the room, right? When there's a fire going, things are good. If that fire is in the fireplace, If you try and take the fire out of the fireplace and it exists somewhere else, outside of what God's instruction would be, it causes destruction. It it wreaks havoc. It destroys. It even brings death. I have experienced this firsthand. I've seen what fire can do when outside of the fire. I've told some of you, my house, when I was in high school, burned down. Like not down, down, it was a brick house, but everything inside was lost. My little brother, he was two or three at the time. He was cold, he was in our basement. We have a fireplace. He wanted a fire. He thought he could just make a fire. I don't know what he was thinking. He was two or three. So he made a fire, like in the corner, near the couch, and he just started a fire because he was cold. And it burned the entire house. I mean, we lost everything. That fire inside the fireplace, fantastic. Outside of the fireplace, it destroyed. Now, Lord, we praise the Lord. He was fine. Our family was fine, everything. But we lost everything. All of our memories from his kid, all those things. I don't have any of that stuff. I got a few pictures that were in the fire safe. That's about it. Like, we lost all of our family videos. It was this giant, like, U-shaped, like, melted, you know, VHS tapes, right? It was, like, on the, one of those towers. It was this little horseshoe. It was the saddest thing that I threw out in the dumpster. It was, but it's, it just creates destruction, And here's the truth. Here's what we have to understand is that sexual immorality destroys. It has effect on our lives. It has effect on the lives of those around us. And we need to be clear on this, church. We can't have any daylight in this. We have to understand the truth of what Scripture says is that this. Throughout the pages of Scripture and what you see in the lives of Scripture, what God has said time and time again to us is that when we choose to sin, we are choosing to suffer. If we choose the things that God has forbidden, we are choosing in that moment to suffer. Suffering will come as a result of our sin. Said another way, we could say this, every time you hear God say, don't, what you really need to hear him say is don't hurt yourself. When he is saying, don't have sex outside of marriage, don't engage in this, abstain from this, what he's really saying is, hey, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. It's going to end poorly. It's going to bring death. It's going to bring destruction. It's going to destroy. It's going to wreak havoc in your sanctification, in your holiness. Furthermore, we have a potential to wrong, to hurt our brother or sister in this matter. Look what he says in verse six, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this. It is happening outside of the church for sure, but let's be clear, this comes into the church and it destroys. We wrong, we transgress, we hurt each other in this. We need to guard against this. We're a family. And what he's saying is, listen, church, be super, super careful in this, abstain. And that language is not one of just sort of avoid, like kind of, you know, play it cautious, play it safe. It's no, no, you have to fight against it. That's why I framed it this way. My fight against sexual immorality matters. Are you fighting? Is it a fight for you? This was prevalent. It was rampant in the culture. It is pretty close to that today. Not quite, but we are not far off in our own culture. The stigma and consequences around sex outside of marriage, around anything that would be considered porneia, continue to diminish in our culture. 
There are things that were once avoided that are now celebrated. Our culture is now promoting the things that grieve the heart of God. Our sexuality matters to God. It needs to matter more to us. And what I would just say is that we need to deal with this. We need to fight this. And so in a room this size and with those joining us online, I know that some of you are in this place right now where this is the fight that you need to fight. This is what God has called us to. And what God would call you to is to stop, to stop, to abstain, and to fight, to actually fight. And the way that you do that is bringing it into the light. This grows, this sin grows in the secrecy of the, dark, the darkness of secrecy. Keeping it to yourself, trying to do it on yourself, manage this thing on your own. It's not gonna work. What you need to do is you need to bring it into the light. You need to get some people around you that can help. You need to tell someone today. It won't just go away. And I would say, I know it won't go away because it didn't go away the last time you tried to do it or the time before that. Like the same things already, you're probably making excuses of why you can't tell someone or why you need to do it this way or it's just, if I just wait a little bit or if I kind of approach it this way, I'm gonna try this, this is gonna, none of that's going to work. You need to deal with it, you need to abstain, you need to do it in a way that he has given us hope in, that you would tell someone, that you would bring it into the light. And if you're struggling with this, if you're in this place, I have hope for you. I have the hope of the gospel for you. You need in your life, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 11. Write that reference down. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 11. It says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually or immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear, right? In those things, those are a way apart at odds with the way of God. But verse 11, and such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, this is our story. We are dead in our sins. There is not one person in this room that is not dead in their sins when they are born. And that don't confirm that then with the choices and decisions. And so what it's saying is, what Paul is saying here is that, listen, we are dead in our sins, but that is our story. But God has washed us clean of that. He has justified, he has sanctified, he has made new. And so what I would say to you, if you're in this place and you're walking with some of these secret sins or you have some of these things, he's calling you out of them and saying, listen, that is not how you are to live. I've saved you out of that. You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of Jesus and so live like it. For some of you, maybe the first step is giving your life to Christ for the very first time ever. Trusting the freedom and forgiveness that he has purchased on your behalf through his death on the cross. Galatians 5.1 says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's calling you out of this. He set you free from this. And we need to help each other to remember and to live this out. James 5.16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another 
that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We need to confess with one another, not for the like, purpose of salvation, but for the assurance of salvation, that there is forgiveness, that there is healing. This is why we confess. This is why we help one another. And we need to be ready to receive that if someone comes to us. Galatians 6, 1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should chastise him and cast him out that he would never return. No, that's not what it says at all. <laughs> Some of you are like, wait, what translation is that? I was just seeing if you're awake. That's not what it says. Galatians 6.1 has hope for the church. It says, as brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. No, none of us, none of us are beyond this. None of us are above this. We need to watch our walk. We need to walk in the holiness in our conduct and we need to help each other in this. Would we restore each other with gentleness, point each other back toward the repentance and the forgiveness that is found in Jesus Christ? You see, really, we have to see this for what it is. When we go outside of the bounds of what God has intended for us, he's made it perfectly and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get from him, or really we're trying to get what is already ours in a different way. Like, well, I don't wanna do it that way. I don't want that to be the way that I receive it. And, and, and we, this is how we sin. We're like, I want these things. I just want them in a different way. And so we go around the, the decrees, go around the commands, go around these things. We try and get the things that God has given in a different way. That's what the church was trying to do. Scripture cuts through all of this, puts it in its place and says, listen, you need to fight. You need to fight to abstain from sexual immorality in your life for your sanctification. My fight for, my fight against sexual immorality, it matters. And here's the third thing, has to matter for us, is my motivation for holiness. It matters. If these are things that we are about if we are pursuing them, it is going to be things that are important to us. We're gonna put in the energy. We're gonna put in the work. We're gonna pursue God in these things. And we have to have the proper motivation for it. What's the reason that we are doing all these things? Well, listen, he says right here, see that word because, the second part of verse six, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I love that Paul ends this section with this. He doesn't just say, hey, go change. Roll up your sleeves and just try a little harder. That's not gonna move the ball down the field on this one. Rather, we need proper motivation for this. If we're gonna get these things right, if we're gonna walk in holiness in the conduct of our lives, we need a good motivation. And he lays out for us right here in scripture, you see four motivations for holiness. The first right there in verse six, do you see it there? Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, the first motivation is this, the fear of God. The fear of God is a good motivation for holiness in our lives. Listen, we have to have a proper respect, a proper understanding that God is holy. He is perfect. He is without error. He's without sin. He is other and he is powerful and his righteousness, his justice, it rains down. And so we have a fear of him. We are not all cool with God on our own. Apart from the saving work of Jesus, we are 
deserving of death, deserving of separation, deserving of that relationship being cut off. We are deserving of his wrath. We need to have a proper fear of God. The Bible talks all about that. If you want to grow in your understanding of what it means to fear God, I would point you toward the Proverbs. Proverbs talks a ton about fear of God, especially Proverbs 1. It says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. We need to understand who God is, fear him properly. Not scared of him in that sense, but like respect, honor, understanding in that. He's a good God, but he is God. That is a motivation for holiness in our life. The second motivation is this, that there's a call of God. Verse seven, God has not called us for impurity, but he's called us in holiness. Just a reminder, hey, there's a call on your life. And God didn't call you to this. He didn't call you to live this way. He called you to holiness. He called you to sanctification. He called you to purity. He called you to righteousness. This is the call of God on your life. Not this, not in purity. There is a call and God has invited you into his story, his working, his plan. He's called you into holiness and he's going to work it out and get it done in your life. The third motivation for holiness is the authority of God, the authority of God. He's the boss, he's in charge. He gets to say some things, he gets to direct some things. Look at verse eight. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. If you choose to ignore these commands, if you choose to ignore these instructions, you're not ignoring Dave, Pastor Dave. You're not ignoring a sermon. You're not ignoring some tips and tricks or things like that. You're ignoring the very word of God. You're dismissing what God has said. He is the authority. And listen, we need, the reason I say every week, pick out your Bibles, get your eyes on scripture. We need to see this because we are holding the very word of God. This is the words of God for us. These are God's words to us. They are inspired. They are inerrant. It is sufficient. And it is unchanging. The same instructions that were given to this church some 2,000 years ago is still true and applicable for us today. This is the very word of God for us. It doesn't contain the words of God. It is the word of God. It's complete. It's full. It has everything we need. And this is the authority of God in our life. So if it says it, we need to do it. If God's word says it, that should settle it for us. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God. God's authority is a motivation for our living. You're like, I don't know if I buy that. Is that really, that's outdated. That's, that's like, that can't be what he says. Search it for yourself. It's crystal clear in scripture what he's called us to and what his expectation is for the sexuality in our lives. It's crystal clear right there. What the conduct of holy living is for our life it's crystal clear. If you're disregarding this, you're not disregarding man, you're disregarding God. And finally, our fourth motivation for holiness is the spirit of God. He has not called you to this and then expected you to do it on your own. Rather, he's given you his very spirit, the third person of the Trinity. God himself dwells in the heart and the life of the believer. It says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. He has called you to this, but he's also equipped you. Like he's given you the power to do this, to live this out. His spirit is working. And I love this. I love the understanding of what God's spirit is for us. The question is, are we giving him all of us, right? At conversion, at salvation, God gives you all of his spirit. The question is, 
Have you given him all of you? That's really the question here today. See, the motivation for our holiness is the fear of God, the call of God, the authority of God, the spirit of God. This is why we want to live this out in our lives. Listen, church, this is worth it. It's worth the energy. It's worth the the destination. This is where we are called to go. And I promise you this, that this is worth pursuing after. It matters. It matters to God. It needs to matter to us. Let's be a church that is committed to these things, that wants to live out these things, and let's do it together. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge that there are parts and times of our life that we hold back from you. God, that we are not always as quick to surrender fully, completely in every area of our life as would be good for us, as you've called us to. And so, God, I just ask that we would be a people, that we would be a church, that we would be a family that wants to pursue this and does pursue this together in this way. God, would you help us to go after holiness, holy conduct in our lives God, that we would seek to live more and more like you, like you've called us to in your righteousness. And God, I pray that this would be a place where we are quick to deal with the sin that arises, that we would address it, that we would repent of it, and that we would turn to you, believing you for forgiveness and restoration and healing God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to respond to you. We want to give you all that we are. God, that we would hold nothing back or that we would give up our entire life to you knowing that where you take it, God, what you're doing in it, the work you're doing in us, it is the best work that can possibly be done. God, we respond to you now. We give you everything. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.